in October, an Oldsboro police officer was involved in a shooting with a resident that left the officer injured. Although a report by the Kentucky State Police said neither the civilian nor the officer were at fault, a felony indictment has been issued against the civilian. We're going to discuss the case and why the civilian is now facing prison time. Stay with us. This is Inquire. From the Mystery Inquire, I'm Don Wilkins. Since the incident occurred in the fall, Mystery Inquire police reporter Jim Mays has written multiple stories and follow-ups about it. So Jim, the shooting case involving the civilian and the OPD officer is one that on the surface may seem simple, but it's really not. So first take us back to the night in question. 911, what's the nature of your emergency? Right, this started the morning of October the 10th. I had to look it up, it was a Wednesday. The incident was just before 6 a.m., so it was, it was October, it was still dark, or it was dark at that point. This started as a suspicious person call. Specifically, um, OPD was called to investigate a person who was believed to be breaking into vehicles. Um, Officer Morris arrived, Zach Morris, and he encountered a person who fled down an alley. At that point, the man appeared to disappear behind a fence, so Officer Morris began to double back down the alley. He was looking, looking over fences. Um, he, he heard some dogs barking behind a fence. This turned out to be the um, David Turley Jr. lives there, and David Turley, Turley Sr. lives in a trailer in the backyard. He heard some dogs barking. That kind of piqued his interest since he was looking for a suspect. There was a bicycle leaning against this wooden fence. The fence was about six feet high. So he climbs up basically onto the bicycle seat um, to look over the fence. While this was going on, um, David Turley Sr., he'd been, he'd been in his son's house. He'd seen a flashlight shining. He came back out. He went into his trailer. He saw the light again. So he, he, got, his, he got his handgun, and he went outside to investigate. At that point, he says he saw someone looking over the fence, but he couldn't identify who that person was. He says he heard the person say something, but he couldn't hear what he was, what it was. Um, the KSP detective notes that, that Turley, Turley claims to be hard of hearing. Um, meanwhile, Officer Morris, who's looking over the fence with the flashlight, he says he sees someone in the yard, and he says he identifies himself. You know, he says, you know, OPD, show me your hands, which gets back to you know, David Turley says he heard someone say something, but he couldn't understand what. At this point, Morris is still looking over the fence, and the way the way Officer Morris describes it in the KSP report, he took his flashlight and kind of shined it down on his at his uniform to in an attempt to illuminate his badge. Um, he says the man starts walking towards him, and he's he's not concerned at this point. Officer Morris isn't because he can tell right away that this isn't the person he was looking for. It was just some guy in his backyard. So he says he wasn't worried, but the guy kept walking toward him and he began to get a little bit uneasy. You know, and again, he said, you know, OPD, show me your hands. He says he said that maybe three times. Um, at that point, when, when it turns out um, David Turley Sr., he is about 20 yards away, Morris told the, or Officer Morris told the detective that 
the man began to raise his arm, and you could see that he had a gun in his hand. At that point, Officer Morris fired. He fired two shots. Kind of describe, can you describe Officer Morris? Because you said he had to, when I say describe, you said he had to get on, use a bicycle to see over the fence. So obviously he's not, you have a six-foot fence. He's not obviously six foot, or else he would be able to see over the fence if he was obviously above six foot. So has there been any question as far as the legality of, of Officer Morris being able to use something like a bicycle to see over the fence? I haven't heard that argument yet. I'm sure that's a, an argument that, that, it, that one of the attorneys will make in court. Um, you're right, though, on the, the KSP report, they, they give a physical description of, of Officer Morris. He's, he's about 5'8", so certainly wouldn't have been able to see over the fence without, without some kind of assistance. So then, when did the first shots fire, and who did they come from? KSP reports say that, that it, was, it, was, it was definitely Officer Morris who fired the first shots. Um, at that point, um, David Turley, who had his handgun with him, he fired back. Um, he kind of fell down at the same time, and then he scrambled behind a, behind a tree for cover. Um, when Turley shot, um, one of the bullets struck Officer Morris's his ballistic vest, his bulletproof vest. It sort of struck the, I guess it struck the, like the bottom of the vest. The bullet fragmented, and a, a bit of that, a bit of that bullet struck. Officer Morris in the abdomen. He was hospitalized for, for for several days. He had to have surgery that day. When did the police talk to Mr. Turley? From the reports I've seen, they, I mean, well, well, more than that, just from talking with them, they, I mean, they interviewed him that day because the decision was made to interview him and not and not file any charges. So he was interviewed certainly the day of the incident, probably that morning. And then, how long was it before they interviewed? Officer Morris. I don't remember exactly how many days it was. Like I said, Officer Morris had surgery that morning. I know that when I was speaking with KSP that they held off for for a few days because he was he was in recovery and I guess he was on pain medication as well. I want to say it was more than a week. I'd have to go back and dig through my notes a little bit better, but it seems like it was maybe a week to ten days. And so you you keep bringing up the KSP report. Why was the KSP involved? That's a good question. Um, and we see that a lot. We've had that a lot over the years when there's a, an officer involved shooting in you know, either, either the police department or the sheriff's department. Both of those agencies, they, they, they like to bring in an outside agency that's impartial. You know, it's perhaps I'm putting words in their mouth, but they don't want to be seen as investigating their own incidents involving their own you know, in KSP, they have a, you know, you know, they'll send teams all over the state to investigate officer-involved shootings, so they seem to have a, a pretty good expertise at it. What did the report conclude? Well, it's interesting. The, at the end of the report, um, the detective, his name is Whitaker, gives a, gives a series of opinions or conclusions, if you will, and I might just read, read them verbatim, if you don't mind, at least a sentence or two. Um, Detective Whitaker wrote, After speaking with Officer Morris, David Turley, and all witnesses involved, plus gathering all evidence, it appears this incident 
was an unfortunate set of circumstances for all parties involved. The officer, while in pursuit of a fleeing suspect, encountered an armed individual who was protecting his person and property. In any case, the officer didn't find any fault with either one of them. He says that, you know, the officer reacted any way an officer would, or a way any officer would when, in, when he encounters a person with a firearm. And he also says, you know, that Turley, you know, Mr. Turley reacted the same way, you know, that he was, you know, and here's, here's an important sentence. He says, in my opinion, both parties were justified in their actions, and there's no evidence that Mr. Turley had any intentions of shooting a police officer, only protecting himself after being shot at first. Hmm, interesting. So was this report finished before the grand jury uh, received the case? Yes, yes, it was. I believe the detective probably or, or did just read off the report when he was presenting it to the grand jury. And so do you know, was that part of the report presented to the grand jury? My recollection is no. I don't, from just from what I've heard from Mr. Turley's um, attorney, Evan Taylor, that I don't believe that that last part that I, that I read off was was read to the grand jury. And you and you listened to the grand jury tape, and what inside did it provide? One thing that that was interesting in the in the tape that's not on the report. Of course, it wouldn't be on the report. Um, was both David Turley and Officer Morris had requested to speak to the grand jury. And on the tape, you can hear Commonwealth's attorney sort of extending that offer, if you will, to the grand jury. You know, if they'd like like to hear them testify, if they're interested in that, um, no one responds back. And I don't know how that process would work, but I do know that neither, you know, neither were called, so the grand jury chose not to, not to hear their testimony. So who makes who makes the decision to take a case to the to the grand jury? Because if he wasn't, if Mr. Taylor wasn't charged that night, as we discussed, how does that process work? Sure, and we'll see a lot of cases like this where a charge isn't isn't issued right away. You know, the, the police department, or in this case, KSP, they'll continue their investigation when when they've concluded or when they they feel like they have enough they'll they'll consult with the commonwealth's attorney's office they'll present what they have and then the commonwealth's attorney will decide whether or not to take a, a case to the grand jury and we've seen there I, I can't stat, cite them off offhand but we've seen cases in the, in the past where you know law enforcement will, will take a case to the the commonwealth's attorney's office and they'll decide not to not to take it to a grand jury and so when you say the Commonwealth attorney, who are we talking about I'm sorry, here? right. Um, Commonwealth attorney in this case is Bruce Kegel. So Kegel, in other words, he has, he has the option uh, on whether or not to present a case to a grand jury or not. Yes, that would be my understanding of how the process works. And so whenever the grand jury returned with an indictment, what was the charge of the indictment? Um, Mr. Turley was charged with first-degree assault, which is a Class B felony. You're looking at a, that's a Class B, you know, if, if you took it to trial and you got a conviction, that would be um, a sentence of, say, 10 to 20 years in pr prison. Um, it's, it's what's considered a violent offense under state law. What that means is you have to serve 
85% of your time before you're eligible to go to the parole board. And how old is Mr. Turley? 62. So 10 years is a, a 10 year sentence. If you got the minimum, it would be a long time. What has, and, and I saw one of the latest stories um, that you had written that was intriguing, that despite the KSP report, the Commonwealth has offered, I guess made an, a plea offer um, to Mr. Turley's attorney, Evan Taylor. What can you talk, what can you say about that and what Evan uh, has decided to do with that offer? I did hear from Evan Taylor one day that that, that plea, a plea agreement or plea offer had been extended um, I don't know how much they want me to say or how much I, I don't I can say that Evan Taylor certainly he rejected that out of hand he was he was not at all um, inclined to accept that offer well the next step plays out in court of course um, there'll be other hearings leading up to a, you know, they'll, they'll set a trial date things of that nature I assume there's probably still behind the scenes work going on they're probably having discussions back and forth about about an alternative plea plea agreement um, I'm sure that Evan Taylor would like to see this amended down. Other assaults involving police officers are, are, are third-degree assaults, which are also felonies, but that's a Class D felony. But a third-degree assault could be, you know, I, I kicked an officer during an arrest. It's, it's usually not something as, as, as serious as a, as a shooting. And so whenever it comes to one of the interesting parts about this to me is the idea of protecting yourself and your property. And is that something that Evan Taylor is, do you feel like that he is concentrating on with his client? He mentioned something to me one day when we were just chatting in the hallway at the Judicial Center that there, the state does have a, a stand your ground law, if you will, where you don't have a duty to retreat, etc. But there's an exemption to that law. That law does not um, pertain to incidents involving police officers. So that there's legally there is no, you know, you don't have the right to stand your ground with a police officer. From the way Evan described it to me, I'm sure they're looking at you know, self-defense. And Evan's a Evan's a good lawyer, and I'm not a lawyer at all. So I'm sure he's working all the all the angles. Interesting. Okay. And that will wrap up our show for this week. I want to thank Mr. Inquire reporter Jim Mays for joining me. To send us questions or provide feedback, email us at newscast at messenger-inquire.com. Remember, you can find us on the Mr. Inquire's website and iTunes where you can subscribe to Inquire. Until next time, I'm Don Wilkins. Say good day for Inquire.